Hi, I'm Angela Lucier, a professional public speaker, seven-time author, two-time TEDx speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton, a research psychologist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and ASECT certified sex educator. Together, we're the hosts of Claim the Stage, a podcast about speaking and sisterhood. If you've been a fan, you know I've been doing this show solo, and it's been all about public speaking for years. Well, that all changes now. Well, you're still talking about speaking on stage, but now we're also going to focus on the three things that you need to make an impact, your voice, confidence, and sisterhood. This show is a training ground to go from dreaming to creating. Right. And we'll still be doing interviews with expert guests. Plus, you'll also get more personal stories and insights from us as well. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Me too. And slightly freaked out. Yeah, me too. Welcome to the next chapter of Claim the Stage. All right. Hey, Julie, how's it going? Hey there. How are you? I'm fine, I think. Fine. Are you fine? I'm I think. Okay. That's yeah, it. It's changing minute to minute. <laughs> I'm, I am definitely living minute to minute right now. <laughs> well, what's going on over there. That's, that's creating the minute to minute. Um, a few things. One is that I'm baking bread as we speak and I'm making, I'm making baps cause it's, it's Wednesday, but it's also Torin's 19th. It's my oldest son's 19th birthday. Oh my God. I know. So 19 years ago, I had just pushed this 10 pound, two ounce baby out onto my bathroom floor. That was a moment. That was a, as the kids would say, that was a whole mood. It was really a lot. (laughs) (laughs) All your babies were big, right? Um, no, Sage was regular. She was seven, seven, but I had a very traumatic hospital birth with her. And then, um, and then two and a half years later, I gave birth to Torin at home and it was, it was beautiful, but it was, I was very scared. So I held back and, Mm. uh, yeah, it was, it was nerve wracking. And then he was enormous. And then I had some other big ones too, but he was the biggest. Yeah. He basically, his shoulders were the size they are now. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's not what's causing the stress of the day, but it is on what's on my mind. Like, oh, I want to make sure we're like celebrating his day, but he has a discrete mathematics final and a calculus three final. I'm like, and then my youngest boy was like, he can't take his birthday off. I'm like, oh, sometimes that's just how it is when you're a grown up. So my youngest made a face that made it very clear to me that he may be done growing up then. (laughs) Yeah. Shock. What's appropriate. You might not be able to take your birthday off. Wait a minute. So I'm not going to become an adult. That's, that's yeah. I think he was, he was definitely like, wait, no, that yeah. can't be. either that, or he just blocked off his Google calendar from now until eternity. Right. Good, good. Like Smart. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to share that you taught me how to make sourdough last week. And yes. I feel so like a new woman. And as I left your house, I thought I have a new life. Like b- baking bread is a new lifestyle. It's a whole new way of looking at the kitchen and thinking about meals and thinking about prep. And I have a new pet, my starter. <laughs> I haven't named my pet yet, but I have a whole schedule. I wrote down on the whiteboard, my kitchen for feeding. <laughs> to I love myself, it. So I don't forget. I love it. And you can, and then we can talk about all the ways you can use the sourdough discard because you can make sourdough discard can be like waffles and it can be, it can be chocolate chip cookies and it can be all sorts of things. Oh my God. Oh, plus have you ever made pasta? No. Oh, we have to do that. With sourdough? My, 
you can use it like your discard in it to, to give it this cool flavor. It's yeah, it's very interesting. Oh, I love yeah. this. This yeah. is exciting. It's we like our homesteading skills. I'm not much of a homesteader because I really like my technology and I like to be able to like leave my house and not worry about everything. But I do. My parents raised me to have all the skills. Yeah, I'm gonna challenge that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got chickens, you've got the garden, you make the sourdough, you, you make, you cook a lot at home and you sew and you homeschool. <laughs> and I knit and I've, well, I, I've weaved and all the, you know what the thing is? I, um, and I, I don't, I no longer butcher any animals. My parents did teach me how, but I don't do it. Uh, I think it's because my parents did it so much more. So I grew up on, you know, my father gardened two and a half acres of our land and, he didn't even eat vegetables. So I don't know what that was all about. <laughs> um, and they, we, they raised pigs and sheep and rabbits and chickens. And they, so, and there was like a huge canning es escapade like every year. So it felt so much bigger when mm. I was a child that what I do feels very dilettante. <laughs> it okay. feels like I'm just dabbling, but I do like the kids to have the skills. So I, I have them learn how, even if they're not gonna do it, mm -hmm. we'll That's see. Awesome. Yeah. Cause you know, anything could happen. Yeah. And it did feel good. You know, when we, when everything shut down last year, I bought two 50 pound bags of flour and some pasta flour. And, um, I like, we were set up, like we were eating really well because we were just like, I bought tons of dry beans and we were just all, we were fine. Yeah. It was, it was fine. I wasn't freaked out. And I would have been freaked out if I didn't have that skill set. Yeah. So. You're awesome at that. I mean, you're awesome at everything, but today's podcast is all about the the triple P. Uh, <laughs> these triple are topics, P problem. <laughs> yeah, the triple P problem. These these uh, topics have been just around orbiting for months, probably years actually. But I keep noticing them more and more, and I thought it'd be great to do an episode on them together because these topics all have a thread that runs through them that um, is intriguing to me because what permission pretending and pausing have in common is that they require you to be a certain way in order to get what you want. And when I say get what you want, I mean things like acceptance, love, belonging, these things that we're all searching for and may think we can only have if we do things the way that they're prescribed or we do things the way that we think they're supposed to be done because that's how everyone else is doing them or whatever, whatever standards we think we have to adhere to. And so I was excited to, I think I woke up at four in the morning and was just, of course, like just lying there thinking about the podcast. <laughs> Why would I be thinking about it? always thinking about all of you, always. <laughs> all of you. <laughs> and these three words just came together and I thought, let's do an episode on this. So I, I came up with some things like the lies that we tell ourselves about these, these concepts. And uh, what we're going to do is we're each going to comment on them and give some piece of advice or thoughts around them. So we can start to reframe what they mean to us and, and think differently about how we're showing up and that we don't need to do anything in particular to be loved, to feel belong, that sense of belonging and acceptance, which is a hard thing to swallow. What are your thoughts on these, these words as I kind of threw them at you and said, let's talk about them. Well, I think that's one of my favorite ways to do any 
any podcast or any public speaking is like, throw me a topic and I'll just go, let's do it. So I was so totally game. And when I heard the words, I was like, I, I think they probably have a different form in your head. Like I was aware of the fact that we come at almost, we come at every topic from two different perspectives, obviously, but I think we have dealt with pretending and permission and pausing very differently in our lives, even like as recently as this morning, like the, we handle these things differently in our lives. So I'm game to talk about it. And I'm excited to hear how you deal with these things and what you're doing with them. And I'm thinking about it from both my personal perspective, but also what I'm, what I teach clients and like how we talk about it in sessions, um, because not everybody's at the same spot. So often yeah. I forget, I have to be mindful not to spend too much time in the, um, in the mindset that somebody's already come to a conclusion about pretending or like they may never have thought about it mm -hmm. to remind myself, like not everybody's ruminating at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> That's you know, a good thing. <laughs> the guy I'm dating recently said to me, did you know that not everybody has a running monologue in their head 24 seven? And I was like, what? He's like, that isn't something everybody has. And I was truly shocked. Yep. It, that, I, there's a big internet thread about that lately, <laughs> about the fact that, yes, not everybody has it. That one, that one shocks me too. Yeah. Anyone listening, if you don't have a running monologue all day long, every day, please email me because I want to talk to you about what that's like. <laughs> that goes for me right next to um, aphantasia, people who don't, um, they don't, when they imagine something, when they, when they like, if you say red ball, they don't see a red, a red ball in their mind. What? They just don't. Um, and I've worked with people who are that way. Um, I was married to somebody who described their brain as that way. Um, and it's a totally different way of like having your world work. It's, yeah. It, these aren't, there's nothing wrong with these other ways, but when we can, that's really, you have to really like shift out of the idea that the way your brain works is normal in order to say, oh, right. When we talk about there being a lot of ways to be, we have to go all the way down to the neurological level. Like it's, there are entirely different ways for human brains to work. Yeah. Mystifying. It is mystifying. So, all right, let's talk about permission, permission. <laughs> and the lie around permission. What I've observed in myself and in others is that your idea or your plan or your dream is only good if someone else validates it and gives you permission to do it. And the moment when I realized this was total bullshit was when I was in a, a business accelerator program like four or five years ago. And part of the program was talking to the mentors, these seasoned entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, business professors who would come in and you would sit with them for 15, 20 minutes and talk to them about your idea. And I week after week, we would sit down and have these little conversations and present our business idea, present our current challenges and problems. And we would ask for advice. And so I would take all of their advice to heart. I would listen intently thinking these people know what's best for me. They know what's best for my idea, which at that time was speaker sisterhood. They know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. <laughs> and what I found out <laughs> 
was everybody had totally different advice. There was no one way to do anything. And all of their advice was colored by their own life experiences. Nobody had the holy grail of business advice. Nobody had the black and white, this is the plan that will work for you advice. It was all just comments and thoughts and suggestions and ideas that were based on whatever schooling they had, whatever experience they had with business. And what I learned is we're all making it up as we go every single day. So if we take what other people think about our idea as the truth and as gospel and as this is what I'm supposed to do because this person said it's a good idea or not, then we are doing a massive disservice to ourselves by not trusting our own guidance and our own, uh, our own belief in what's possible for ourselves. And so when we're seeking other people's validation and permission, what we're really doing is ignoring what what we know to be true already. And we're hoping that someone else can tell us what we need because, you know, it feels a little bit easier to just follow someone else's advice than to do what we know to be true. And um, that just doesn't work. That was the other problem in that accelerator program. I would come home at the end of the weekend and look at all my notes and say, there are 40 different directions to go in now. And none of them are right and none of them are wrong. It's just the one that I want to choose because nobody really knows what, what needs to happen next. And that's when I had to start building confidence in my own decisions and deciding what do I want to do next? Because clearly there is no one way to do this and everyone's just making it up. So why don't I just make it up? And there was a lot of... Um, value in that exercise and just letting myself jump into it without anyone's permission and then learning as I go. And that felt awesome, but it was really hard to do because I wanted to make everybody else happy and tell them I did the thing you told me to do. And it worked because mm -hmm. there was some sort of like pat on the head thing that happened in that exchange. I'm hearing that, that socialization that in particular, um, young American girls get in school, like the, like the reinforcement is the, the getting the pat on the head, like, yep, you did what I told you to do. And that reinforcement over and over again is not, it's, it doesn't foster a sense of self-efficacy. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't remind you that in fact, you may have an idea that is, that doesn't align with anyone else's and I mean, that's what innovation is. It's something that hasn't been done before. Something that that made me think about was how contradiction, like, like the fact that you could come home with these 40 opinions is one thing. But when you actually, if you grouped those things, I bet you would have found that they fell into like, I don't know, two to four groups of like the kinds of moves that you should make. It's not, there's 40 different opinions, but then within that, there's probably a few strong threads. And I bet that some of that would be based. If you could go and look inside those people's brains, I bet you would see that some of them operate from a, a, a more fear-based space. Some of them operate from a throw caution to the wind space. Some of them operate from a technology will solve all our problem space. Like we, we have these ways that we move in the world that then we build all of our decisions off. Like that's our internal model. 
what I'm hearing from you is that you, you had to allow yourself to get, grant yourself permission. Yeah. You like, I mean, the, the idea of the permission slip is pretty powerful, write yourself a permission slip. I struggle with it because I've always been pretty, um, I, I think I've always been pretty willing to go against the tide, to be unusual, to like, to do things that everybody tells me are a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Um, that's been the norm for me. So I don't think that permission has been a huge problem. That idea of validation has not been a huge like stumbling block for me, but it has, it has left me feeling lonely, like really lonely. So when I think about permission and validation, I think about what I want to hear from somebody after I've done the thing. So, so I do whatever it is and I still want somebody to give me a cookie. I still, I still want that, um, that validation that the thing I did that was so weird and they didn't know what to make of it was good. So even though I'm coming at it from maybe what looks like a more secure place, like, oh, sure, she's doing her own thing and she doesn't need anybody's permission. Yeah, but I've definitely found myself zillions of times waiting and like asking for the permission to be right, asking for the validation afterwards. Yeah. The acknowledgement. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Um, In Untamed, in Glennon Doyle's book, she talks a lot about this moment when she started to realize that she wasn't trusting her internal voice. She wasn't trusting Mm -hmm. herself. And so what she started to do was she would take writing time and go sit in her closet and she would write in the mornings and she would sit quietly and listen for the tiny voice of knowing inside of her that would help give her direction and decide what to do next. I think this is when she was leaving her husband and was, you know, wanting to build a life with Abby and just, trying to figure out where she was going next. And when she started to tune into that little voice, she started to realize that she had the power to make these decisions inside of her and she didn't need to go elsewhere to get them. And I wanted to find a quote from her book. And for some reason, I cannot find that book anywhere in my house right now. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, it's untamed. So it's probably wandering the neighborhood somewhere. Probably is. It's out there in the world. (laughs) And I, I know a lot of people have read this book, so they've probably, they probably are listening to me say this right now and remembering that moment, but that moment in the book was so huge because it's such an important reminder that we have the answers within us if we're willing to listen to them and connect with them. And I've been thinking a lot about this concept of not trusting our gut and overriding our intuition because we think, well, this person obviously knows what's best for me. They, they have X, Y, and Z figured out, or they have a successful business. So why would they tell me to do something different? And I've, I think in my life experience, I've realized that the person who knows what's best for me is me. And when I don't trust that I get into trouble and I've been really good at ignoring signs and red flags and just trying to believe that I could make something work, even though all signs internally were pointing to, no, this is not a good idea. And so I want to, as far as like giving an action step to the audience, if, if you tend to look for permission outside of yourself to act on an idea, whether it's to write a book or to leave a job for something more satisfying or to start a business, 
rather than asking your parents or your spouse or your friends, check in with yourself. What do you really want? And if you're not coming up with an answer and you're not hearing anything, and it just sounds like a dull buzzing noise and there's no, there is no feeling of which way to go, keep checking in with yourself because it's possible that you have ignored that voice for so long that it's so quiet that you can't even hear it anymore. But that doesn't mean that it's dead. It just means that you need to rekindle that relationship. So spending time every day trying to sit quietly and ask yourself questions and tune into your body and listen to the stories that are showing up and just noticing these things that you may be um, believing to be true about yourself like I'm not someone who writes a book. If that's the story that just keeps coming up, well, now, you know, maybe there's some work to do around that belief system and, and trying to address where does that story come from? And why would I stop myself from doing something that I feel excited about when um, that voice is, is the thing that's telling me not to, but it may not necessarily be true. I'm sure you run into this a lot with your work, right? All the time, all yeah. the time. And one of the first questions I ask people when they're telling me this very staunch narrative, it's very like, it's very clear and crisp. And they're like, it's, and it's a no. It's a no that they're also sad about. So I can feel and see their sadness and I can hear their clear statement about how they can't do something. So they've got a big can't somewhere. And so where we go exploring is, so whose voice is that? Yeah. Whose voice is in there? And often people don't want to say. Sometimes I'll ask them instead to just write about it throughout the week because they don't want to say, because there's this mistake that we make when we, <laughs> sometimes we think if there's somebody's voice, let's say like an overbearing parent's voice that has taken up residence inside our head, we make the mistake of thinking if we say, oh, that's my mom's voice, that we're blaming our mom. And so I'll grant everyone permission right now. That's not the same thing. You have like an, you have an inner set of voices and they're yours, but they may sound like someone from your life. And if they do, it actually can interfere with the relationship you have with that real person. Cause you've created this like inner world for yourself where you have this, this like controlling person in you. And now that voice can control so much of what goes on and so much of what you act on in your life. And one of the things that can do is interfere with how you interact with that person if they're still around and still in your life. So I approach those, those negative beliefs from, from a place of curiosity, which I think is where almost anybody will tell you like, so what about being curious? And I want to say, whose voice is it? How old are you when you're hearing it? Like, how old do you feel now? And what's happening? Like, are you, do you feel no? And you feel like, all deflated? Do you feel no? And you feel angry? Do you feel shut? Like, how is your body actually reacting to it? Because yeah. there's so much information going on there. Um, and the other thing I do with permission around the word permission is I teach. Um, so I'm a sex educator. And most of us were taught to fall back on the plicit model um, of sex education, which was, um, it was outlined by Jack Annan in, I think, like 1976. And the first piece of the plicit model is P, permission. And permission isn't permission to do these things, like not permission to do certain sexual activities. It's permission to ask questions, permission to ask the things that you think are too awkward or too stupid or too whatever. So I think if we just can approach all of those, all of those can't statements and all of the self-limitations from a place of like, well, what if I could ask any questions about it? 
would it be okay if instead of saying, setting a goal, instead of jumping right to, I'm going to have a goal of writing this book. What if we just started asking lots of questions about what will happen when I start writing? What do I think will happen? What do I feel will happen? Mm -hmm. And what, what direction do I want to move in to make this feeling more open and less constricted? Yeah. Because it, it's, it, there's such a constriction when we're looking for permission, there's this tightness that happens. And often people will describe to me like a tightness in their chest or heavy sensation on their chest or their shoulders closing in or their throat constricting. All of that is, is remediated by saying, you know what, you have permission to play with all of this, to ask all the questions, to be awkward, to be weird, just that. So that's the permission that I usually am, uh, am attempting to grant people be weird. Yeah. Yeah. Be weird. I love that idea of play rather than this is right or wrong. Or what if you succeed? What if you fail? It's not really about that. It's about, yeah, just trying it out seeing what happens and, and play there. There's never a right or wrong when you're playing. It's just playing. It's enjoying. So having that lightness attached to it is a great place to start. And in speaker sisterhood for anyone who's new to the podcast, you know, my company is a network of public speaking clubs for women and in the clubs, it's about public speaking. Yes. But really it's about finding your voice and, and creating that voice that you want to share with the world. And when I say find your voice, it's not just your external voice. It's also your internal voice. Mm -hmm. And part of crafting speeches and deciding what you want to say is about connecting with that inner voice. So while you may think public speaking, that's scary. I don't want to put myself out there. Um, It's actually more of a, rather than this like external activity, it's more of an internal. It's an internal dialogue. Yeah. You're you're actually, you're engaging with the different parts of yourself and then crafting an actual narrative out of it, which is magic. Yeah. And it it makes you feel polished. Exactly. And it also helps you to really like learn that voice and that can help you to stop feeling so much pressure to have to get permission from others because you have a solid relationship with that voice and you can play with that voice and you can have fun with what you discover from that voice. So there's so much here to explore and just the the word permission, you can spend weeks, months thinking about how you're showing up in your life and letting other people dictate what you're doing or not doing um, based on, you know, where you're putting your power. If you're putting your power in others to decide that for you, or if you're putting your power in your own internal and external voice. So yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah. Let's, let's play with that. Uh, Let's move on to pretending. Oh boy. Oh, it's a big one. It's a big one. It is. I love that we're doing this episode after all of the episodes we did about the good girl and people pleasing and owing others. And we did so much conversation about that. And maybe that's part of why these words have been on my mind so much lately, but this word pretending it's, it plays into that, in that same sandbox as people pleasing and it's all masquerading as, as one thing that I think we maybe don't want to say because it feels like maybe more harsh. Like we say the word inauthentic and it's like inauthentic doesn't feel as gross or ooey, ooey gooey as the word dishonest. Cause when we're pretending we're being dishonest and we you could, know I have feelings about that. I know you do. <laughs> we 
when we're pretending because we want to show up a certain way and portray ourselves as someone who is polished or someone who's an expert or someone who has it all together, someone who has it figured out, someone who's competent, organized, intelligent. Um, you know, when we do that, we're being dishonest and we're creating dishonest communication and relationships. And so if, if we're coming from our life, or com- we're, we're creating a life where everything is based on dishonesty, what in your life is real? Mm-hmm. And that's the question that I keep asking myself is like, where do I show up with a lack of honesty? Because I'm afraid to disappoint someone, or I'm afraid that I'm going to come across as incompetent or unprepared or all these things that are real deep fears of mine. And I have to say that when you and I decided to work on the, uh, the Frentimacy book together, mm-hmm. that book and those exercises were transformational. I hate that word now, but pivotal. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Transformation still happens, even yeah. though it's been now decimated by the coaching industry. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it required me to constantly ask myself, why am I saying yes to plans with Jolie? Is it because I want to get together with her? Or is it because I'm afraid of saying no and her thinking I don't care about our friendship? Or, you know, why am I not telling her that something she said upset me? Is it because I don't want to have a confrontation? Is it because I don't want to upset her? And like being able to have these conversations with myself about why I was pretending helped me to build a base to then be able to translate that training into other places in my life, like speaking on stage, like relationships with other people, um, you know, posting things on social media and starting to show up in a way that just wasn't performative. It wasn't about manipulating a message in order to get people to see me a certain way. It was, I'm just going to be honest and say like, this is hard. I'm stuck. I'm lost. I don't feel competent. I don't feel prepared. I don't feel organized. And those are all the hardest things to say when you want to be perceived a certain way. So they're anti-capitalist viewpoints. To show up and say, I'm not entirely prepared. I, in fact, am in progress. I'm creating as I go. It, it, it moves against the, um, the general sh- like trend in our culture that to be in business is to be decisive mm. and to have already figured it out. I don't think that that's actually inherent to it. I think it's just, the, it's the picture we've created of what it means to be in business. I think if you actually sit down with a bunch of entrepreneurs, you find out exactly what you did in the accelerator that everybody's making it up as they go. And some of us will be successful in outer ways. And some of us will be more successful in inner ways. And those are all good. I'm so glad you brought the word performative into it though, because when you said pretending, that was the word that like leapt right into my mind next to it was where am I performing? Because that's not the same thing. People ask me all the time how I can be so vulnerable when I'm speaking. And I think the core of it is because I'm, I'm not performing. So my vulnerability is because I, I'm not acting. I'm not faking it. I'm showing up and I'm willing to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. But if I didn't do that, it would be performative vulnerability, which isn't the same thing. And lots of people do it right now. That is so 
It is so common. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's a really good point. And when I'm scrolling through social media and I see that performative vulnerability it is such a turnoff and it's, it makes me question not only their agenda, but also like what's going on in their life that they feel like they have to post this like very personal thing that is clearly used as a manipulation to sell you something. <laughs> well, that, and that's the thing it's I, cause I post incredibly pub, like personal things. I talk about very, very personal things. And I, I know a couple of people right now who are going through some big, heavy emotional stuff and they're publicly processing it. And they're doing that in a way that is authentic and true. It like, it's so obvious that it's not manipulative and so I guess the, what I would say is we can tell when it's manipulative. Mm -hmm. Like we, we know our, our inner, um, our inner awareness perks its ears up and goes, eh. yeah. but when you say pretending, I think there's a, there's a flip side to it too, because pretending is what kids are doing when they're playing almost all day long. They're pretending. I use pretending, pretend play as a way to try on new versions of myself. And that's separate to me because, you know, I have an honesty fetish yeah. and like deeply attached to honesty, <laughs> the hottest thing in the whole world to me. Um, but pretending, so try, taking an idea or an identity and intentionally putting it on and, and letting the people around, you know, I'm just going to try this on. I'm going to, I'm going to try being this person. I'm going to, I'm going to I'm going to try embodying that and see how it feels for me. That's a really useful way for me to gather information. Um, recently, I was playing around with like, okay, am I going to be, am I going to be a professor? Like, is that a place I'm going to put a lot of energy? I'm going to go down that track, not just teach a class or two here and there, but I'm going to go there. And so I tried it on, like I tried on saying out loud that that's what I'm doing. Like that's my primary um, means of, of interacting the world. And I tried that on for a few weeks. And after I did, I was like, yeah, that's, that is not my truth. It's just not, but I needed to say it out loud. Yeah. So the important part was that I had told my partner and my kids, like, I'm trying this out. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. Like it's real for a while. I don't know whether it is yet. Um, and that's my version of, of pretending in a positive way. I guess I don't see that as pretending that to me seems like experimentation and it seems like explicit communication in saying, I'm going to see what this feels like versus like showing up in a way that, um, is yeah, yeah, it's not like, dishonest. It's, yeah, it's, it's not. right. Right. It's not right. So I think it's, it just comes down to how you it's, it's parsing the word pretend. I think because I, I instantly with the word pretending, I go to childhood play. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I think of. Um, so I think, oh, it's like, it's like playing house for a while. And, and sometimes you play house with somebody and you find out, oh, I really don't want to live with them. So I'm a head home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sometimes you find out that you want to spend every waking moment with them. Um, so yeah, I, I just think it's a different, it's, it's a, how the word showed up for me. I think that when I think about performative stuff that gets my hackles up, that makes me really, really frustrated. The, um, the idea that somebody is pretending to get me to do something that's it's manipulation. And yeah. I, I feel that it feels like a knife to the gut for me mm -hmm. and it has come up in all sorts of ways. I mean, one of the ways that it drives me bonkers is, um, when women are, so I'm non-monogamous and when women are performatively bisexual, like, so if their husband or partner 
male par partner happens to be around and he's turned on by the acts of, of two women together. And so she'll play, but I'm like, oh, I get my heart broken so easily. She'll play, but she's not clear that that's, it's just play. It's just acting. It's just acting. Ouch. Such an easy way to get your heart slashed. And it's happened to me so many times that it, I, I, I find myself like so frustrated and so shocked by it that I, I just, I leave spaces. I stop, I stop dating at all because I'm just like, no, I can't go through that again. It's too much. Yeah. And it's, and it's manipulative and dishonest. And again, like it, it evokes that vulnerability that isn't, isn't safe. Not the, not the good kind, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, hard, the rough kind, like, wow, yeah. you invite someone to come out of their shell and it happens in other spaces too. It happens in business spaces all the time where people mm -hmm. are performatively offering help, mm -hmm. but then they won't be there for you. They're not really, they're not really going to show up. Mm -hmm. Drives me crazy too. I have a friend I've known for a long time and, you know, we, we knew each other in high school and our twenties, thirties. And, you know, I see her now and I often wonder, does she know who she is? And it seems like a lot of the time she is pretending, but I don't know if she knows that she's pretending. I think she thinks that the way she is, is who she is. Yeah. But so I think she, it's like identifying with your persona is a real thing. Like yeah. You wear your persona, you, you embody your persona, this, this face of the person you think everybody wants you to be for so long that you lose track of who yourself, your capital S self. Yeah. Like is. you become your mask. Yeah. And yeah, you, you, yeah, it's, there, there's new, not two separate things there. So I, I wonder, is that just comfortable? And she just, is that person or does she ever ask herself, is this who I really am? Is this what I really want? Or yeah, is it just the two have fused? My and guess would be that that's a dark night of the soul sort of moment. Like to, to, to reckon with that would be a, okay, um, but this is a real reckoning. I, I have to, because, because from there, there's a fork into, am I going to explore who else I am? What else there is to me? Or am I going to decide that this identification really is me? And I'm going to allow myself to be subsumed into it, whatever self I have just sink into the background. Yeah. Which is really common. I mean, I, I see it at all the time. Yeah. All the time. Well, I've been feeling a lot of discomfort lately. And I think there's so many things that I could attribute that to. It could be the fact that we've been in a pandemic for a year and life has been so different. Yeah. And I haven't been able to do the things that I love. Like I, I love public speaking and I haven't been able to get on a stage in over a year and I haven't been able to go and attend groups that I really love being part of and, you know, feeling that sense of isolation and loneliness that I think so many people are feeling right now. I really feel it deeply in my body and it's such a sense of, yeah, discomfort and it, it creates questions like, wh why am I doing what I'm doing? What does it mean to me? What do I want to look like going forward? And I just wonder if other people who are feeling that sense of discomfort go into the discomfort and ask those questions or if they look for band-aids like, well, I'm going to just have a bottle of wine tonight. So I don't have to deal with it. Or, you know, I'm just going to go on social media and forget about my own stuff. And I think one of the goals I wanted to accomplish in this episode was 
if you're, if you're feeling like there's some discomfort and some questions around how you're showing up in the world that you'll take the time to do some inquiry and to try and understand where that's coming from and not run away from it. Cause now is kind of a great time to be thinking about that as the world is starting to transition a little bit. And we're starting to come back to some things that were part of our lives over a year ago. If, if you're feeling discomfort around the decisions you've made or the way you're showing up in your life to, instead of having that bottle of wine or scrolling through social media, take a couple of minutes to ask yourself some questions about like where you are and, and who you're surrounding yourself with and what you're spending your time on. Cause the pretending piece can be for other people, but it can also be for ourselves. And when you're living your life, pretending, are you really living your life or are you, you know, trying to, I don't know, project something that's not there. I want to add to that then, because I I think that that's super important, but it would be all, it would be smart to start, I think with, um, some soothing, some, some capacity to self-soothe that isn't, um, numbing because the, the moves that you're talking about, I, I mean, I participate in them too, these numbing moves so that we don't have to feel the, the pain of the pretending the dishonesty or the out of alignment with ourself. And to switch right into inquiry can feel um, terrifying. It can, it can actually cast us into, uh, yeah, like, re- like real fear, um, very, very real. So I would encourage people to, if they're finding this coming up, to give themselves any routine, some small routine that's soothing that isn't about numbing, whether that's, um, you know, five good breaths, like we talked about in an earlier episode with Pam Victor, or whether that's, um, calling a friend and, and just saying like, I, I just want to, I want to talk real for a little while and, and co-regulate with someone, (laughs) like actually allow yourself to come into relationship with someone where you don't have to pretend if hopefully you have someone in your life who can hold that space, or even if it's just going for a walk and being outdoors um, for, for a little bit and soothing a little bit without numbing because inquiry is, I have a tendency to jump very quickly to it, but I've noticed more and more. And I think it is exacerbated by the fact that we've been in pandemic all this time. And we've been, there's been a lot of isolation when we jump right to inquiry. A lot of people are, are feeling un, like unattached, like they, they kind of freak out. If that happens, then what's your recentering practice? How are you going to get back to yourself rather than back to the pretending? Like, ha- like because it, it's so easy to go back into the pretending. Um, and I, at the beginning of any semester, I have my students make a self-care plan for themselves. Um, so bef- like that's, if you're, if you're ready to like explore your pretending, I would make a little self-care plan. Just like three things you can do that aren't about numbing, but are about soothing that allow you then to go in and do what, like go into the closet and do that writing or, you know, to get to yourself or, you know, ask yourself these questions. Or for me, like one of the ways I do this is I, I, I do my public speaking. I speak out loud, um, to get myself into those places where I'm asking myself uncomfortable questions. Cause I like to do that publicly because I'm weird that way, but I need soothing methods too. Is it's, it's okay to want to feel good. Yeah. It doesn't have to like, this isn't a self-flagellation thing. Like it's, it's okay to want to feel good while you're doing your growth work. 
And the two are not mutually exclusive. I do want people to be comfortable with discomfort. Certainly we grow at the edges of our comfort. That's all, that's true, but it's also a good idea to remember pleasure and remember that you get to enjoy your life. Like there's some permission here. Yeah. That's my, my official permission. <laughs> you get to enjoy your life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that sounds nice. That one wild and precious one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I love that you added that. And I hope that, that anyone who hears that thinks like gets excited about what that could mean to them. Cause it, self-soothing can be so many different things. And I'm starting to yeah. learn that what self-soothing is to me is getting together with a friend to talk about the feelings and eventually maybe even being held. Pinky, pinky held at least. <laughs> like pinky, just, just pinkies. It'll be okay. Starting It'll with pinkies. Okay. Eventually we'll work our way up to back to back. Back to back. Um, yeah. <laughs> she actually may be turning. I wish this were a video right now because she may be turning inside out. It's possible. It's possible. You know, human touch is so important, but we have, we have corrupted it by making touch highly sexualized for many of us. Yeah. And there, there's a wealth of other touch in the world. And, you know, I don't have all the answers around that, but I think that figuring out how we soothe and co-regulate with each other. Co-regulation isn't just for therapy, but like it's, it's therapeutic. It's not therapy. You, you show up with a friend or with a lover or with a parent or a child or any, and there's this space where you, where, where you actively soothe, but don't numb. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. I, I think we could do another episode just on that actually, because it's a big one. And I remember um, something happened. I felt all, all bummed out and really just deep, having some deep feelings. And you said, we'll have a plan for self-care when these things happen. And it was like, <laughs> oh, so I don't have to just sit here and feel like shit for six hours. I could just do something that would feel comfy and loving and nice. And I think the first thing you suggested was like, just get in a comfy little nest of blankets and pillows and just like, enjoy sitting in that. And that just the thought of doing that was so helpful to get me out of that space of like feeling gross and yeah. Yeah. And I, so I, I got that idea from, um, Dr. Bianca Loriano, who we had on the show a yeah. while back. Um, she opened a class that I was in on, um, on care for people receiving abortion care. She opened that class knowing it would be a, a sensitive subject and we would all have feelings with, okay, what's your self-care? Like, how are you gonna care for yourself? What do you need to be able to come back into your body safely if you get triggered or you get set off? And that has completely revolutionized how I teach, how I parent, because now I make plans and I actually write them down. What are my steps? What, what is my self-care plan? Who are the people who can be my safety people? So you're on my list of people who like, okay, you're freaking out. Who are you going to turn to? And it can't just be, if, if at all possible, don't let it just be your spouse, because that is one of those ways that we, we buy into the idea that our spouse has to be everything. Mm -hmm. um, so we can, we can actually make space in our relationship. If we also have a friend we can turn to um, it's it, there's a, there are a million ways to do this, but having that plan in place is it's so much easier than trying to think from that space. 
because yeah. you're not in a good space to make, to make a step, right? Yeah. So you need it to be as easy. You want it to be frictionless. You know, how we talk about frictionless sales. You want your self-care plan to be as frictionless as possible. Yeah. Like easy to move into. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And having a process for yourself, like when this comes up, I do this and you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Cause when you're in that state, it's hard to just make a plan in that moment. But if you totally. have something, it's like, um, someone's choking, do CPR, right. Same thing. Like right. have a plan. It's, yeah. It's so it's first aid. It's first yeah. aid for like first. So it's a, it's a graduated list. Like first you need that, like, okay, what's my immediate response. Yeah. And then deeper layers of like, okay. And now what do I want to do with this feeling right now? Adding depth to it. Right. I love that. Yeah. Cause you're going to need the bandaid too. Like yeah. the quick, the quick, like, what do I do right now? But if self-care stops being about bubble baths and starts being about how do I get myself out of my narrative of being stuck, paralyzed and, and being harmed. Like sometimes we're just making a story about being harmed that we like, we might be able to just walk away from it. We could walk out of that harm and into something else. Sometimes we can't, but many times we can walk out of it, but we need to train ourselves to be able to. Um, and I think you're right. Like, it's like an emergency responder move. Like, wait, what do I do now? I'm starting to be activated. What do I do? Yeah. yeah. I think people, when people are choking, you actually do the Heimlich maneuver. So I want to just that, add yes. that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and as a mom, I didn't know how many times I was going to have to do that as a mom. Like, oh. oh, like I have four, four, uh, incidents where I had to perform the anti-choking pieces of first aid and it, I didn't realize how good it was that in fact, I do have that, that hair trigger, like, okay, step into action. But if you're, if you're more of a freeze person, I'm a fight person. So that's actually like it. That's how I, I move into that space is like, Oh, action. But if you're a freeze person, then put into place the very first move that you make, let it be something that can be done from that frozen state, if at all possible. Like maybe it's something, you, uh, something you just repeat over and over. Maybe you, uh, one of my kids hums. I don't know whether they know they're self-soothing, but I can see they're clearly like they're activated. They're a little frozen. They hum. Oh, okay, cool. And that's the starting their process and then get yourself mobile again, able to transition out of that total fear state into, okay, I can take the next step. I can ask for help. So this is great. I'm excited to keep working on my self-care plan too. Yeah. Let's jump into the last P and our three P's and that is pausing. And <laughs> what, what comes up in your body when you think of pausing? Oh, right now. Yeah. Deep sigh of relief. Cause Ooh. I need a pause, like nobody's business. And I yeah. know I need it, but could you actually pause right now? It, that's an interesting question. I guess it depends on what you mean. Cause I did. So I woke up this morning, my very first reaction, when I woke up, I opened my eyes and my first reaction was this sizzling sound behind my ears. It was not good. And I was like, Ooh, this is, this is not good. I'm actually frying out like not yeah. good. So I turned on the TV to, to a Netflix cooking show. I got a piece of chocolate. I pulled all my blankets around me. And I'm like, I am staying here for the next hour. I am not getting up. So it turned out I could pause in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you'd asked me last night, if I would feel like I could pause in the morning, I would have said no, because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm running, I'm overclocked right now. Yeah. And 
So yeah, pausing is something I need a lot of permission for because I pretend I don't need to pause there. (laughs) (laughs) And we've come full circle. (laughs) Well, I think the relationship with that so many people in our world today have with pausing is a negative one because stopping means you're no longer being productive. You're no longer contributing. You're no longer proving yourself. um, You're no longer productive and busy. So what are you? Are you useless? Are you falling behind? Are you lazy? Are you, um, what's irresponsible? Are you letting things fall apart? You know, can you be, can you, can you be somewhere in between being busy and productive and doing and constantly moving forward and feeling like your life is falling apart and you're lazy and you're not getting anything done. Like what's, what's in the middle of those two. Cause I feel like that's a place where it feels um, like there's a more of a safety, like you don't have to frazzle yourself and burn yourself out, but things are still happening. I think it's another P word. I think it's pacing. Mm, pacing. I, so I've actually been talking to Ken about this a whole bunch lately. I'm like, I don't want to burn myself out again. I, I took on too much this semester and that became obvious a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And, and I, there wasn't anything to do about it. Like I would have had to quit something and I I wasn't going to, but what I said is, so I don't actually want to set down my goals for this year, but I do need to work at a pace rather than this frantic, um, productivity race. Because if, if I make my identity too closely tied to productivity, I, yeah, that's no good. There's no end to that. And, and there's no, there's no prize. Nobody's given you a medal and the money is not directly correlated to it because when I burn myself out, I do not make more money. Mm-hmm. I make more money when I'm carefully moving forward at the pace I've selected. And yeah. I, like, I think that's, I'm thinking now like the, on the lawnmower, like the turtle to rabbit, like selecting the pace that's appropriate for you at the, at the life stage you're at in the place you're at, like all of those things. Cause our paces right now are a little offset. Yeah. And I, I, there's not a right or a wrong there. As far as I can see, it's, um, we've just decided to move at different paces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this pace is not my typical pace. I, I think I've, I've always tried to fill my days as much as I could with many different activities. And that felt like I was being a good business owner. I was being a good leader. I was being, um, all these things that I was trying to live up to all the time to prove that I was, I was doing what I said I was going to do. I'm keeping my word. I'm trying as hard as I can. And I look, I have these, um, you know, letters and notes and emails from speaker sisterhood members and leaders. And the word that comes up a lot in those letters is inspiring. And when I look at those, when I look at that word, I wonder if they're talking about the amount of work I do like that. That's what, like lately I always come back to that. Like, are they saying I'm inspired? Yeah, I don't because- think so. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody write to Angela this week and tell her in a couple words, what you actually find inspiring. Cause I don't think it's, there are a few people who have put you on a pedestal around your productivity. I've seen it happen, but I have heard a million other ways that people are inspired by you. So oh. I'm certain it's not just that. I think it's a thing that stands out to some people. And I think that it makes your ears perk up because you are nervous that if you set it down, that 
who are you? That identity question. Yeah. But I really, I mean, I personally, that was never what inspired me about you. I saw you as busy and thought, okay, cool. But I don't care about that one way or another. I, that was not the inspiration. My inspiration was that you were so willing to do things that were so clearly uncomfortable at whatever pace you were moving. Like you were just willing to go into the unknown. I loved that. Loved watching that. I still love watching that. And right now the unknown is not being productive every second of every day. Yeah. So it's just as enjoyable and inspiring to say like, wow, look at her doing that hard thing. That's amazing. Okay. You just blew my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Her face went blank. I'm like, is, are we frozen? Are we frozen? No. (laughs) I just died of shock. (laughs) Yeah. No, seriously. I, I don't, I think the first three people who I met, who like I met, I met them. I said that I knew you. And the thing that they said back to me was, oh, she's like, she's a super producer. She, um, she's produced the most content of anyone I know. And I, I have to say, I don't see that as a compliment because I felt, I felt in that this like, okay, but what does that say about quality? What does that say about what you're producing? What does it say about who they think you are? Like, yeah. Lots of people produce lots of stuff. Tell me that you read it. Tell me how it changed you. And so when I have sat in a speaker sisterhood room and listened to the stories of people like like really speaking their truth because you created a space for them to stand up and tell a story that they have never spoken out loud before. Now that's impressive. That's Mm -hmm. impressive. That blows my mind. That totally shows me that in that productivity, you created something really worthwhile that, mm. that was needed, so a, a place that people needed. And if that, if you'd been able to do that while also like drinking beer and sitting on your couch, I would be equally impressed. It doesn't matter to me. If you made that all from the beach, cool. Like whatever, you made the thing that's magic. Mm. Yeah, you. Yeah, I think I need, thank you very much for saying that. And I, I think I'm, I'm still working on separating productivity from being an impressive or inspiring person. Cause let's work seems, on that together. Yeah. It seems like quantity somehow equals, um, value. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's an ongoing challenge for me. And I know you've, you've connected this to capitalism and the white supremacy and that these things are inherent in our culture and that it's not like I just made this up and was like, yeah, this is, this is no, a story. You were groomed for it. You were groomed <laughs> yeah. for it. We all were. <laughs> yeah. And so hearing, oh, I don't find you inspiring because of the amount of work you do. I find you inspiring because of the this thing that you, this person that you are and the willingness you have to jump into things you don't know about and then see what happens. And that is, that is such a relaxing perspective. And it's such a it's, it's just, it's calming to hear that. Cause it's like, Oh, I don't have to be anything. I don't have to do anything. I'm just showing up as myself because the, I, the willingness is so natural for me. I'm not like waking up every morning going, I'm going to make myself do a hard thing. It's like, I just wake up and go, I think I'll try that. You know? Yeah. And yesterday, um, I went to the guy's house that I'm dating and I, he has this little nook off of his bedroom and it was just like sitting there with boxes in it. And when he gave me a tour of his house, I'm like, Oh my God, I could turn that into a really cool little like nest of blankets and pillows and curtains and, you know, little lights. And I just Im- immediately imagined it. And I said, can I 
redecorate that? And he's like, yeah. And I said, do you have any, is there anything like off limits that you don't want me to do? He's like, no, do whatever you want. And I went over there (laughs) and I spent three hours yesterday, just completely redecorating this whole space. And he came up and he, the, you know, he was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I love this. And then he goes, did you have this whole idea in your head when, when you came and saw the space? And I said, not exactly. Like I knew what I wanted to make, but really it was like, I got a bunch of materials together. I drove to your house and I just made it up as I went. And it was so natural to me. The whole process was just like, Oh, this would look cool over here. Oh, I'll hang this like that. And I'll, and I brought a bunch of tools with me And that little room is the exact example of how I run my whole life. And I think that is what you were just saying is what is inspiring to people. It's like, you just jump in and do it. And So that is, um, it's really like heartwarming to hear that because I don't have to do anything differently than just be me. (laughs) Being you, right. And and it's so different. I jump in and do uncomfortable things too, but from a completely different place. It's just, it's like, it's just a totally different way. Like, and I think if you tune in and listen, I bet that that's what a lot of people are really saying about you, but you haven't been able to hear it yet. Yeah. And it's easier to hear that message that's just about productivity. And remember that you're like, what productivity doesn't even mean anything. Like (laughs) it's totally like, it's not, there's no scale. There's no amount. I'm very visible right now because I I'm doing a few specific things, but a lot of the visibility is, is still bracketed into like a particular segment of the world. Don't, we can't, we shouldn't overthink any of this. Mm. We're just showing up being people. You're, you're doing a great job of showing up and being you. And one of the things you are is a mom of an almost two-year-old, like you're showing up being that and, and like, and running a business and that's totally magic enough. Yeah. And I think I, I recently just in the last couple of weeks have really fully acknowledged how exhausting it is to have a baby. Oh yeah. (laughs) And when I was pregnant, I I met someone, I don't remember who this person was. And she said to me, Oh, don't worry. If you don't feel like yourself now, you'll feel like yourself again soon. You know? And I said, what do you mean by soon? And she goes, well, for me, it took about two years. And I, my jaw almost dropped on the floor. Cause I'm like, okay, there's nothing about the words two years and soon that sound the same to me. (laughs) (laughs) Like when she said soon, I imagined three months. I think that's the hard part of having your kids later. You've had more adult self to get used to. So then you're like, soon, that's not soon. No, I want to be myself (laughs) all the time. So yeah, what the hell? But then I use that as the, um, the goal was like, I'm not going to take two years to get back to myself. I will get back to myself faster than that. And now my son is 22 months old. We're two, two months away from the two year mark. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to say it. I don't feel like myself and I haven't felt like myself. (laughs) And I think hidden in there is a real truth, which is yourself was going to change Yeah, who you are was going to fundamentally change. And it would take at least two years to incorporate and integrate the ways that you have been fundamentally changed by becoming a mother, by becoming a parent. Yeah. Uh, You have to like, you have to like a whole new person has to grow inside of you. Yeah. That feels like it would take a while, right? Mm-hmm. It's the idea. I'm I'm not a fan of pretty much anything that we're trying to get back to. Like the, it just doesn't. Like we can remember, but trying to like get back to, I don't know. 
Yeah, I've, I've been wondering lately why I've been trying so hard to be the person that I was before having a baby. Like what was so attractive about that? And why, why am I trying so hard to be her again? I don't know. And I think it has to do with how much shit I got done and that I was so focused and I had so many ideas and, and I have a lot of ideas now, but they're not, not with the same intensity. And I don't feel as compelled to act on them immediately. Like I don't wake up at midnight with an idea and just go, well, I might as well just turn on my computer and start writing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I used to do. So yeah, I think there's just integration that's happening right now and some resistance around the integration, but the pause is helpful for that. And so this is what I wanted to bring up on the show is that having a pause creates the space for the inquiry. It creates the space for the integration. It creates the space to notice when we're pretending, when we're seeking permission and validation instead of trying to do the thing that feels good to us. And being able to slow down long enough to actually notice what's happening in our life is what creates that higher level of self-awareness and clarity and being able to show up for real, honestly, in your relationships and for your life. Yeah. I, I have said for years now that the thing I, the thing I have to do when I get all spun up is I'm like, okay, I need to stop everything long enough to get bored. That's like, that's my goal. That's how I know when I'm done pausing is, am I bored yet? And, um, and when I mean bored, I mean, when do I go back to the library and like start looking at books that have nothing to do with anything I've ever done? Or when do I get some new piece of material out? Like I get, I, I start to feel my creative fire reignite and there is this whole pause. And I've had those last from like two days to six months and I don't know. I don't think I know at the start of them how long they have to be. Mm. That six month one was brutal. Yeah. It, it called everything into question, but it was necessary. And yeah. it was a pause. And the only time I was ever in danger was when I mistook the pause for a stop. I thought it was the end of something. And it wasn't, it was just a pause. It was a semicolon. Mm -hmm. So life will carry on after. Yeah. I like the ellipsis too. I think Yeah. that feels like very open-ended. We don't have a predetermined plan. Right. So the lies we discussed today were that in order for you to move forward, you need permission or validation from somebody else in order to take action. And that's not true. The second lie we uncovered was that you have to act a certain way and you have to sort of pretend to get what you want, whether it's through people pleasing or through curated social media posts or the clothes you choose to wear or whatever. And then the third lie was that if you're not constantly busy or productive, you are somehow falling behind, not inspiring or not worthy of whatever love or acceptance or belonging you seek. And so hopefully we gave some good suggestions. We shared some, some possible paths to take in order to explore these topics further. Anything you want to add before we close up the episode? I just really do want everybody to email you and tell you how <laughs> exactly how you've been inspiring to them and anybody who comes up with a creative self-care idea. I, I'm always game. I love hearing about people's like, so how did you create that plan for yourself? Yeah. Cause I think we could all stand to just talk about what we do. How do yeah. we make this? How do we make these three P's? How, how do we make this work for us? Yeah. Well, my email is Angela at speakersisterhood.com. Thanks Get for her. that challenge, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, that's it for this week. And uh, we'll be back with more in a week. Bye for now. Jolie and I hope you love listening as much as we love making this show. If so, tell us by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or share it with a friend. Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood and is produced in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Kelly Vogel of Sound Passage. All right, that does it for us this week. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now. Thank you.